Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to a Now Playing Podcast Book Review of New Moon from the Twilight Saga. This is Jacob. And Stuart. And we made it to book two, the bigger one. I mean, you know, that doesn't always happen with sequels, but in every way... I think New Moon eclipsed, excuse the pun, the Twilight original. First of all, Stephanie Meyer took five months to write this instead of three. So, wow. And it should be said, like, she started writing this before she even had the book deal for that first one. Like, once she got that book deal, this book really did change. I think that she was thinking about how to give a capper to one book. Yes. And she just kept writing so much that she realized, oh, and ended up writing maybe the fourth book. And when you get a book deal, they're like, oh, okay, well, it's going to be several books. This book is sort of a bridge, but she knew where she was going. And that's, I think, helpful to know that whatever she had written in the aftermath of Twilight, it was the ending that gave her a morning star to follow. And so, consequently, it feels like this. there's more things happening in New Moon than were happening in Twilight because she's building towards something. Writing, still not that great, but the structure, even though it's still first-person point of view with Bella, Stephanie Meyer found a way to bring in some mysterious elements, because again, if Bella doesn't know about it, it's probably not going to get talked about, but this one, I was more intrigued by all the stuff going on, because it's introduced early, it's not all at the last moment like that last book. It's 50 pages longer. I mean, maybe that's not a whole lot bigger, but it's a longer book. It's a more complex book. I think her maturity as a writer is showing. It sold five more million copies than Twilight. So maybe that's a testament to the fact that with books, each new one is probably going to be a little bit bigger because there are more people reading Twilight. They've passed it on to friends, a word of mouth phenomenon. It should build like that. Jacob, I'm wondering, when you read this, I'm assuming this is your first time like me. Yes, but I had seen the movie, so I had memories of that. Right. This is my question. Were you able to get Pattinson, Stewart, Lautner out of your head? For Jacob, I could, because when it comes to those films, I'm always paid attention to Stewart and Pattinson, so they're much more cemented, their performances and what they go through. Jacob, not so much. So for me, yeah, reading this, Jacob was a very different character than I think Taylor Lautner will end up being. Mm, that's. I wish I could. I wish I could say, I really always try. It's an active pursuit that I do, but quite frankly, you mentioned Stephanie Meyer's writing, I just don't think she's good enough to have you be able to visualize much. Like, honestly, it's mostly dialogue and, you know, scant prose. There's not much there to give you a visual impression. So, unfortunately, what I know from the movies just bled over. And werewolves, this has to be the reason why it's bigger, right? Last time, the debate was, should a girl date a vampire? I guess people got opinions about that, but should a girl date a vampire or a werewolf was a big topic for people, you know, 12, 15 years ago. There was a lot in pop culture, including Underworld, including, well, I don't think True Blood had happened yet, but the books were starting to be published. It was just a thing by this point. And by expanding the romance into a triangle, it just pulls you in. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think a lot of people would have expected with that first Twilight. If you don't know much about it, you know there's vampires, probably know there's werewolves, and that is the surprise of that first book. 
that there's not that triangle. This one, it's a very weird love triangle <laughs> that gets introduced. Again, Stephanie Meyer, fascinated by her ideas, maybe not her writing, but just like the way she gets from point A to B is always interesting to me. Well, let's start with the title since it's what do you call the sequel to Twilight? It was called Twilight because that was that impossible realm between night and day where these two lovers that couldn't quite be together had their twinkling in the fields. Here, a new moon, I looked it up, it's essentially when the moon lines up with the sun and the start of a lunar phase, and I guess the moon's almost invisible. It's dark. The point is, the moon disappears in the same way that Edward disappears from this, at least half this novel, and darkness falls on our heroine. Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive because you think werewolves that's a full moon this is a new moon Myers did say like this is Bella at her darkest moment I'm assuming you know near the beginning during the breakup and soon after that is her darkest moment though again as we go through this she may have come up with darker moments for her but yeah it's referring to yeah like you said Edward breaking up and her being alone now Yeah, that's pretty much how this is going to start. Now, I also have to ask, I asked last time you had a very logical answer as to why an apple would be on a cover. Why is this tulip dripping blood, or maybe it's just red petals, on the cover of this? Like, flowers represent fertility and purity, and maybe because it's photographed, losing petals, we're reminded. This one, more than the other one, is really about a limited time frame. Bella is really concerned about getting older. She's in full bloom. She doesn't want to lose her beauty and age as humans do, and so she wants to be turned into a vampire. That's sort of how this novel starts with the anxiety of, like, my flower is fading and I need to be made immortal. That cover is quite the Rorschach test, I guess, to me. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking at it red. There's going to be some red hoods, like, later on when they go to Italy. Maybe it's alluding to that. According to Stephanie Meyer, she hates this cover. She had no say in it. Mm. It was just picked by the publisher because, well, they said, like, the white represents Bella and blood dripping off her is the red. But you mentioned time. Stephanie Meyer wanted a clock on this because that's what this was about to her is the time passing. It definitely is about we just have a limited amount of time. And putting that in context of her Mormonism, because we already kind of played that game last time. Like Mormon families tend to start early, right? By 1920, you are, you know, married and having a family. So it wouldn't be and seeing Bella in that context. She's turning 18 at the start of this novel. You would understand why she's having anxiety about still being alone. Again, it's a teenage girl. Maybe everything's just overblown. But yeah, she's super concerned, like having nightmares about being her grandma and all that. Age is always a big deal to her. And I noticed last time Stephanie Meyer did study English literature as a college student. She wove in some Weathering Heights. I don't know the novel enough to find much more than they had a special meadow in the same way that there was a special moor and Weathering Heights for the lovers. This one, it makes a much more concerted effort to bring in William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. It's going to be built into the narrative. Yeah, so much talk about suicide in this book. And, you know, if you're familiar with the ending of Romeo and Juliet, where there's a misunderstanding that causes both of them to end up dead. Like, yeah, she really plays on that. And just this whole idea of Edward, you know, how can he kill himself if he would ever hurt Bella as almost happens to her at the beginning in the first chapter? Yeah, they love each other so much they can't imagine life without each other, and that causes them to, frankly, just do self-harming behavior that creates misunderstandings that could mean they both end up dead, just like Romeo and Juliet, if the world won't let them be together, if the houses, the societies don't work. 
Bella is turning 18. It's ironic because Edward is going to always be 17. But I want to point something out. He is not 17 years old. This is a story about a 107-year-old man yes. macking <laughs> on an underage girl. A crime in most states. Yeah, I agree. And I think there was a line or two in the last book in Twilight where they kind of try to justify. It's like, oh, yeah, you you might be a 17-year-old, but you've got an old soul. And souls are kind of the discussion point. I feel like this one speaks a little bit to more why Edward is reluctant to turn her. Because it's becoming more, I mean, I'm on her side. She wants it so bad. She's 18. She's an adult now. She can make this choice. Most of the family is going to vote for her to join them. Why not just make her a vampire? I guess what really gets stated here is that they believe in God and vampires don't have the soul that humans do. That smell that I focused on, that lustful odor, is really talking about an inner light of spiritual entity that will be gone if he bites it. Yeah, lest we forget, Carlisle was the son of a preacher man. <laughs> that is his origin story, so I think he brings that religion into it. In that first book, it talks about him having a cross on the wall. And yeah, Edward has this whole thing, like, vampires don't have souls, and I don't want you to lose your soul. And again, I feel like it's it's very melodramatic discussions about the soul. As far as it being like a theme and coming to some kind of conclusion, I don't feel like it really goes anywhere. It's actually kind of disappointing because I thought it's an interesting discussion they bring up. I want to hone in on this because what we're to understand, the big thrust of the beginning of this novel is Edward is so consumed with this idea that he breaks up with Bella. But I doubt this. Like, I don't buy that this is really the reason that he's breaking up with her. Do you like the reason given in the book that she gets a paper cut on her birthday and Jasper goes all crazy and they have to move for some reason? Again, very blown out of proportion. Mellow, teenage melodramatic to me. <laughs> I didn't take that as the full reason either. Yes, okay. She is a human among vampires, and even though they love her for who she is, they are driven by impulses. And should she slice her finger unwrapping a birthday present, then it could mean that Jasper just tears her to pieces right there in the living room. I kind of like that as a conflict, that like people that love each other that could just tear each other apart feels like an interesting way of looking at a family and marrying into, you know, in-laws are tough. These are particularly <laughs> tough in-laws if you're going to try to make this relationship work. Work, but I'm getting the vibe. I'll just go ahead and put it out there. I'm an Edward hater. I really feel <laughs> like he's emotionally withholding. And I think that he likes to deny Bella. He likes her to remain in the state of needing him. And so he's always making up bullshit reasons about why he's not available to her. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I'm sure we'll talk about Team Edward, Team Jacob that arose out of these novels. But yeah, Jacob is such a warmer character, seems like such a healthier relationship when we get to that in comparison to Edward, where in this book, yeah, it, like she can't escape him even when he leaves. Like he's still trying to tell her what to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. It's like if he were honest and, the, if, you know, we're talking about within 50 pages of this 560 page novel, he's saying, I I'm out. This is the last time you're ever going to see me and I'm gone and it will make your life easier. I'm doing this for you. And then if that motherfucker doesn't pop up as a voice in her head, like <laughs> every time she's making a decision, are we to understand that that's her self-torture or is this his vampire powers head shrinking her from afar? No, I 
think he is head shrinking her from afar. Like we'll find out like Alice is listening in like all these Cullens, they want to leave her, but they're still obsessed with her. They're still like paying attention to what she's doing. And yeah, the fact that this is a bad relationship all the way around. I think we said that with Twilight, like she is seeking adrenaline because that will get Edward to step up and be her boyfriend to protect her. And so she's going to put herself in danger to get the attention of that boy she likes. And I do not like this. This is the interesting thing. We know that this is written with the idea of young readers in mind, particularly young women. Bella, I would think, would be drawn in the tradition of, you know, great romantic heroines from Wuthering Heights or Jane Eyre or what have you. But I, if I had a daughter, I would certainly not want her to emulate Bella. And I'm not sure I would want her to read this story about a girl that's like, oh, you think you can leave me? I'm just going to keep putting myself in danger until you have to run back and save me. I mean, that's... I mean, she goes back to the men that almost assaulted her from the first novel to, like, troll them and see if, like, that will bring Edward back, since that was the moment that got him driving in and really starting to show her a lot of interest. She thinks she can replicate that by getting on the motorcycle. Bad relationship advice in this. (laughs) Whatever your sexual preference is, whatever your sex or gender is, do not copy these people. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Last time I felt like she was teasing her virginity, like, oh, you want me, but if you take me, I won't be interesting anymore. And now I feel like the more I hurt myself, uh, the more you're caught up in my life. And that, you know, it has S&M vibes. Like, I really can see how Fifty Shades of Grey came out of this one. This one feels much more adult and dark, true to the title, if it's about a darker lunar period, this is definitely a darker Bella. Again, I'd be worried about 12, 13-year-old girls starting to cut themselves or thinking about ways to hurt themselves. This book gives you bad ideas. And that's why I like Jacob so much, up until a point, like, he feels healthier. I mean, he's going to end up kind of doing that same thing Edward does when he has his turn. But until then, Bella seems very happy with him, even though she's trying to keep friend zoning him and he wants to get further in there. But even Jacob realizes at one point is like, Bella, like I can fix the motorcycle. I cannot fix you. You are broken. I hurt for Jacob. Yeah. And the reason is, is because I feel like Bella is never really interested in him. He is the very definition of a rebound boyfriend. He is not a werewolf. He's a puppy dog. He <laughs> will do anything Bella wants. She's like, hey, I found these motorcycles. You want to fix them up and we can go riding together? Sure. What cliff diving, whatever you want to do, I will condone because I want you to like me. And he do- he never gets the fact that she's doing all of this for the boyfriend that's not there. It, to him, it looks like they're getting closer. But for her, it's about so she can see Edward and, again, bait him into coming home. I even believe that she feels like if she cheats with a werewolf, the vampire won't be able to stand it and will come back and bite her on the neck like what she really wants. So it hurts to know that Jacob's being used. I agree, but there are times, like, there's some passages where they're, like, you know, adding up their age because Jacob's a year younger than Bella, and so they're playing these games where, you know, they're adding ages so they can get closer. Like, I do like those friendship moments. Like, I do think they're good friends. I think it's healthy at those times, so that's why, for this book, I'm going to be Team Jacob. Like, Edward is awful. I was Team No One for that first one, and here I'm Team Jacob. 
Yeah, agreed. I definitely, I mean, he's a much more healthy individual. You know, he's younger and, you know, he's not 107 years old. <laughs> and yeah, he's just not, the. it doesn't seem even like he's a danger. And another way that I feel for Jacob is he doesn't know his destiny. At the start of this novel, he thinks that werewolf stuff is all poppycock. And it will be his discovery through the novel that the Sam guy he sees as a gang leader and a bully is actually the man that is destined to lead him in a pack of werewolves. Yeah, and again, this is where I wish stuff was written better, where it wasn't just all dialogue, because the idea that there's these kids on the res that maybe have a cult or a gang going on, and he's worried about getting recruited, like, it just seems like they run around in the woods naked. Okay, maybe that's a little weird, but what seems so dangerous to him at first that he's really scared of Sam and the others? Because, yeah, if he doesn't know they're werewolves and just really thinks they're a gang like what are they getting up to like we're never told yeah it would make more sense if he believed that they were doing the killing there's this whole in the background some they think it's a bear that's going around killing hikers and have you that we know that there's something ominous and dangerous in the woods and if you're spoiled like we are coming to this you even know that it's going to be because there's werewolves and we know where this is going and again i wish i could play the game of picking up this novel I really don't know when I would have guessed it was werewolves, because again, if you read Twilight, other than that little passage about my tribe has roots with wolves, I don't think you would think that they were coming in as characters. It would be a real surprise, just as it is for Jacob, that he literally is a werewolf in the middle of this novel, and now has to worry about domestic violence like this is creepy the image whether you're with a cool werewolf or a cool vampire you're gonna end up dead or hurt again that men hurt you you either gotta like that ick, or you gotta find a way to deal with that because sam has a fiance who is literally all scarred up because i don't know he was just triggered to become a werewolf while they were making out or something and he clawed her face Myers tries to make it sound like this is not domestic violence. He just got out of control near her. But again, as I'm a big guy that's strong, I could hurt someone easily. Like if I'm just not thinking too hard, if I got angry. So like part of my job is to stay under control. So I don't hurt someone. Like if you're around someone smaller or weaker than you, you got to maintain control. And here we're told these wolves cannot. They're just going to turn into a wolf and claw up their fiancés if they're close. And it should be said that Jacob is, like, really tall. Like, I feel like the movies don't portray him as big as he actually is in the story. He shows up, like, after getting sick when he's turning into a wolf. He shows up and he's, like, 6'5". And then, like, it seems like he's growing another inch every chapter. These wolves are big and he's big. And do you think Bella really ever falls for him? Is there a moment in this book that you can pin and say, oh, Edward ought to be worried? No. I don't think she ever falls for him. I, I think they're close, like, when they're hanging out a few times. And, you know, again, Stephanie Meyer's writing it that way. And, yeah, I don't think she's ever willing to go because she is so committed to Edward. Right. Her favoritism is all over this. First book was all about a girl and a vampire. And this book really is about a girl and a vampire and the werewolf that is, yeah, friend-zoned. Yeah, because the whole... Again, the climax kind of out of left field. Did you imagine a trip to Italy to go talk to another coven of vampires when you you thought you were getting into Twilight here? Like, it all becomes about Edward because Bella, she's got to get that adrenaline rush, jumps off a cliff, and because Jacob's around and he's a werewolf, Alice can't read thoughts, a series of misunderstandings. Oh, Bella's dead, Edward thinks, and so he's going to kill himself in Italy where there's this whole new group of vampires, the Vatol. 
Right, yeah. It's mentioned early on. They are assigned Romeo and Juliet as an English class exercise, and it sparks the conversation that had Edward not been able to suck the poison out of Bella in the last adventure, in the first Twilight novel, he would have killed himself. Just like Romeo couldn't live without Juliet. But vampires, in Stephanie Meyer's conception, it's not like you can go grab a vial of holy water. I mean, they sparkle because they have, like, diamond-hard skin. Right. You can't melt in the sun. You can't stake yourself. There's no easy way to die when you're already an undead. What they establish here, and this is kind of cool. I was not expecting this, that there is a family. I'll actually read you a quote here. The reason your hair stands on the end when you smell me, this is Alice talking, the substance of your nightmares, the dread behind your instincts are this collection of five vampires in Italy who essentially, the way I read it, this is what Edward is trying to save Bella from becoming. If you just became a Cullen, that would be one thing. But this collection, they might look like a family, but they're much more driven by power than love. Yeah, they seem more like classical vampires. I mean, the fact that they're in a European country and they're not just trying to hide out in high school like the Cullens. I also think that it's Italy because, again, Verona and Romeo and Juliet and Italians are known for being romantics and and what have you. It certainly helps draw in the literary themes, but it establishes this idea that this cult is hiding in plain sight. What better place for a vampire to live than in a town that believes that they eradicated vampires like a thousand years ago? Volterra, Italy, is this place that celebrates St. Marcus Day, kind of in the same way that St. Patrick's is supposed to have driven out all the snakes from Ireland. This priest ran out all the vampires long ago, and now they dance in the street and wear red and all of that. They believe in vampires. They would know how to spot one. Edward's idea of killing himself is to go there, sparkle in front of them. They're all going to know that the vampires came back, that they need to get St. Marcus again. And what the Volteri are most concerned about is PR problems. They don't want humans to know about them. They're doing terrible things to humans in secret. And so if Edward were to risk that, they would kill him. That is how he would die. He would die by Volteri. It's just so weird that the dramatic crux of this novel is... Got to push Edward into the shade before he steps out of the sun. Like, I want higher stakes, no pun intended. (laughs) Yeah, let's go ahead and say it. The ending sucks. Yeah, I really was surprised that I found this much better than Twilight. Yeah. Overall, I felt like, oh, this is more complicated, more interesting. The writing's not much better, but at least there's more things going on. There's neat concepts. Like, yeah, when you're talking about the religious angle and souls, or one that I liked was the idea that the Cullens... Because they abstain from drinking the blood of humans, they believe that allows them to emulate the love that humans have. Like, the other vampires are are savages and awful because they're drinking human blood, and the salvation for them is to remain a family. Interesting notions. All of these ideas, in better hands, in a craftier novelist hands, would be really good stuff. I do feel like Stephanie Meyer gets in her own way, and things kind of get 
too sticky on Edward and Bella. You know, I, I, I wish it weren't all about Edward and Bella. Even when Edward's not there, it's all about Edward. Even this book that's been two-thirds about Jacob, the whole ending is about Edward. Yeah. And so it leads to this very annoying climax where she's got to run to Italy to stop him from twinkling in front of this village. I wish it were darker. I'll just go ahead and throw out an idea I had. What if instead of just saying, hey, look at me, everyone, I twinkle, what if Edward was going to bite someone? It would scare the town that a vampire is like taking a life and it would make Bella extremely jealous because he won't bite her. I just think you need to make him a little bit. I mean, he's already super creepy, but I think you need (laughs) to make him more of a vampire threat. The idea that he's just going to stand there and go twinkle, twinkle is dumb. Yeah, especially when you're surrounded by these Volturi. You said there's five of them, but they also have, like, nine more guards. This little Jane that's really creepy. Like, like you said, a lot of interesting ideas. Like, there are characters that I like, but not much is done with them. Maybe in the next book that will happen, but that sums up this book. Like, cool ideas, better than Twilight, but still kind of a mess and still not satisfying. Yeah, I want to point out all of this establishing of the Volturi and all of these characters you're talking about are the last hundred pages. Like, everything in the middle is about riding motorcycles and going to movies and grieving that Edward's not around. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, lore, lore, lore. And there's just, it's an imbalanced novel. An intriguing one, but kind of a failure at the same time. So I think you're right. These are more teases for the next book than a satisfying conclusion of a story. Yeah, because we even get the return of two of the surviving vampires from the last book that were hunting Bella and the Colons, and like one of them, their story gets resolved, but the other one gets to continue on to the next book, I presume. Yeah, Laurent is uh, torn up by the werewolves. It makes Jacob look more heroic because he was able to save Bella in the same way that Edward was. Again, I'm rooting for him. Don't you like him? He can do what Edward did, but I, she's never feeling it. Yeah, he'll actually kill him before he could hurt Bella. Yeah. And yeah, there's this Victoria that uh, remains in the shadows. Even by the end, I, I guess they're saving her. This is the problem with writing a series is you want things to escalate to a point and they keep you waiting on this one. I don't know what will transpire out of that, but she has a few scenes where she comes close to getting Bella. She essentially wants to kill Edward's lover because Edward killed her lover in Twilight. So how do they resolve all this? Well, never forget the fact that the Cullens all went away, not just Edward, but everyone, was because they felt like they were starting to look a little too suspect. You know, as eternal vampires, you know, the doctor, I think he's only like 28 or 29. He's been there for a few years. I think he could buy like hair dye and gray his hair out and look older, but they are always moving around. They're like gypsies moving from town to town because if they stay too long, people will become suspicious. They're risking that. The Cullens come back. They had a cover story that they ran off to LA, but they come back to Forks at the end of this and they all vote, not all of them, but a majority of them vote to bring Bella into the fold. And it really becomes this idea that someday soon she's going to have to get bit. Well, and that is part of the deal they make with the Volturi because Bella is just the greatest thing ever and, like, none of their powers work on her. It's not just Edward who can't read her mind. Like, no one's powers. I guess Alice can see her in the future, but these Volturi that are so powerful, their powers don't work on her. So it's like, yeah, either kill her or make her a vampire. So even the Volturi are for it. Yeah, it's an interesting stake. And again, I'm rooting for that. It, It seems to be the most logical. It's Edward that's the holdout here. 
And again, I can't help getting over the fact that it's just like you like denying what she wants. Like you're just this <laughs> mean guy that like doesn't want her to ever have uh, what she really wants. Or maybe doesn't like, he doesn't date vampires. That's all I can say is like, he's only attracted to what he can't have. And in that way, he's perfect for Vela. I wish he had a better argument why he did not turn her this whole thing I don't buy. Yeah, and it's more complicated because Jacob will bring up the fact that the werewolves in the area, not happy to see the vampires come back, have this whole pact in which if Bella gets bit, doesn't matter the reason, doesn't matter whether she asks for it or not, the werewolves are basically going to attack the Cullens. It's going to be a blood war. Yeah, I, f- I feel like we got to have that in our future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's obviously what you do. You're pitting the two sides with Bella in the middle. This is all pretty good tension. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I felt like the first book was a stupid romance novel that could be mockable. I don't think that this is the mockable thing that pop culture has turned it into. New Moon may not be a great novel, but it's not a bad potboiler. There's stuff here that lots of genre fans would like, not just romance fans. With the caveat, if you're a young, impressionable teen, or that's who's going to be reading this and you're a parent, like, sit down and have a conversation with them first, because there's some awful relationship betrayals here. Disturbs me that young, impressionable girls are reading this and thinking, I want to be in Bella's situation. Like, I never would want a young woman to be doing the things that Bella is. I feel for her father, who is, (laughs) you know, threatening to send her to her mom in Florida, and I don't know, maybe that will happen too. But yeah, I am much more hopeful going on to Eclipse than I was leaving Twilight coming to this novel. I think things are improving, and if that trend continues, maybe we will get a really good book next time. Yeah, I'm actually kind of positive going into it. I did not expect that. Mm Mm-hmm. It's been a surprise. So... What review the movie? If you're a silver level donor, we are going to continue on for a $10 donation. You can hear our thoughts. Arnie's going to join us too. But Jacob, myself, Arnie, we're watching all five Twilight movies and we're reviewing the New Moon movie tomorrow on Friday. So get it on that ticket. You want to find out what we think about one of the biggest movies of 2009. And then come back uh, next Thursday for Eclipse. Thank you for listening to Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. In the archives at nowplayingpodcast.com, you can find more than 150 more book reviews, including many of the works of Stephen King, the Ian Fleming Bond books, the Planet of the Apes novels, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, and many more. Enjoy movies? The Books and Nachos hosts have done more than 1,200 movie reviews, which you can also find at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. This episode of Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews is copyright 2022, Venganza Media Incorporated, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, redistributed, or modified without the express permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Incorporated.